0: This is The Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogi is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area. Call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now
1: let's join Dr. Carl Brogi. Study and show yourself approved to the Lord, being a workman who's not ashamed accurately dividing the word of truth we welcome you this hour to the bible line if you are a first-time listener a special welcome to you what do we do for the next hour we take people's questions maybe it's a passage of scripture they're unclear on or understanding a biblical truth in a particular realm or applying it to their lives if we can be of help we will for the next hour by god's grace answer your questions you can call us locally at the South Carolina 843 Exchange, and that number, as Rick just said, is five two five eighteen fifty nine. People want to call us from other regions of the country, and you're welcome to use the 877 line, and it's just the call letters, WAGP 980, or you can email us here directly into the studio, and the email address is uh, WOTBL for the Bible line at WAGP.net.
0: You know, Pastor, uh, that opening verse that you use from 2 Timothy 2.15, yes, yes. Um, we are having an amazing speaker in our World Missions Conference yes. on Thursday, October 13th, H.B. Charles. Yeah. He, he has a ministry uh, in Jacksonville called Cutting It Straight, which is taken really from that same dividing the word of God. It, that, it's it's a, a different it, rendition. Yeah,
1: it's actually an agricultural term that Paul uses there, and that's pretty close to a literal rendering of the Greek text. So yeah, we're we're to cut the row straight, so to speak. We're not to deviate to the left or the right. And H.B. will do a great job. He's one of the great African-American preachers in the nation. He'll be here on Thursday night. Todd Friel will be here on Wednesday night. He's here on this station every day at uh, 4 p.m. and on about a thousand stations across the nation. And then Tommy Ice, he'll be our a central speaker on Friday night and then twice on Sunday morning. He's the uh, president of the Pre-Trib Research Association, a great, great Bible scholar. Uh, you don't want to miss him either. So, and a lot going on during the week with missionary interaction, meeting in homes and Various places, lunches, uh, breakfasts, all kinds of things.
0: We've got an amazing opening night, October 12th at 630. We've got a parade of missionaries. The flags are going to be flying all over, and uh, we've even got a bagpiper.
1: Yeah, that's going to be cool. So uh, I think we have about 150 coming in at last count. And so we're excited post-COVID to have this event back and the various nations that will come. Their flags will be represented as, uh, as they enter into the auditorium on Wednesday evening. You should bring your children. Uh, when, when men of God come to a town, even if it's not a community Bible church, if they're reputable people, you should try to expose your children to such events because that's, that's important in their spiritual growth.
0: All right, well, we've got a number of questions this morning, and our first comes from Jackson, Michigan. Abby would like to know, in response to the issue of transgenderism, I've heard people say God makes mistakes when creating people. It's obvious. Just look at all the people born with the disorders and missing limbs and such. Those people certainly aren't perfect, and some people are born in the wrong gender because God didn't create them perfectly, so they have to take the initiative and fix that. My answer has always been that we live in a fallen world, stained by a sin, and that's why some people are born with genetic disorders and such, but I'm realizing I don't have a very good response to the issue of transgenderism. I don't believe God can make mistakes when creating, but some psychologists would argue that people do suffer from a disorder of believing they are in the wrong body and they must transition to the other gender if they are to live another day. How is transgenderism different from physical disorders? I would love to hear how you'd respond to someone saying that transitioning to the opposite gender is simply fixing a mistake on God's part or creating someone in the wrong
1: gender. Well, God doesn't make any mistakes in his creation. He is sovereign over it, even over a fallen universe. There are certainly uh, malfunctions in the human body that sometimes people are born with. Uh, Because when creation, when man fell, creation fell with it. Even our bodies, they're not like God originally intended them to be. And they'll certainly, they're not in the same state as someday they will be. And so God has a great plan uh, for his people. And we have much to look forward to. The scripture says that when Jesus comes, we will see him and we'll be like him And so we will be in resurrection bodies that are totally changed and transformed and will never be the same. But by the way, this is like an important question. I don't care if your kids are homeschooled, if they're in a Christian school, uh, they are going to meet peers who think very, very different from the biblical worldview. We're living in a depraved mind culture. We are under God's uh, current wrath. There are different expressions of wrath in the scripture. There's uh, eschatological wrath that you will see, for instance, during the time of the Great Tribulation. There's cataclysmic wrath that you have read about, like in the day of the Great Flood or when Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. Uh, And then, of course, there's eternal wrath, but there's also a current expression of wrath, the wrath of God that is being revealed. And when a nation, when a people, when a world rejects the living God, then God gives them over. And so in Romans 1, we are seeing the three God gave them over expressions being lived out to a depraved mind. And ultimately, when a people lose their morals, they lose their minds. They think in a twisted way. Uh, Immoral lifestyles always lead lead to ultimate insanity, just craziness. And so we have even, quote-unquote, churches that are not churches at all that are, you know, promoting transgenderism. They have a uh, drag queen reading hours even here in the great state of South Carolina. And so this whole idea of um, transgenderism, homosexuality, uh, protective sex, it's being taught to children uh, in the grammar schools across the nation. And don't think that South Carolina is void of this. We may not want to think that it's not here. It is here. And I don't care what people say in reference to Beaufort County. I know what I hear in my pastoral office and what people are being taught by uh, their, their teachers. And look, when you start teaching little children that transgenderism and let's just define some terms here. Again, they're speaking here not that God created two genders, male and female, as the Scripture affirms. They would argue that when you have a baby, while biologically the child may, say, be a male or a female, in terms of their gender, well, you don't know. And so sometimes you ask new young parents what what you have, and they say, well, we don't know because they don't know supposedly whether this is going to be a male or a female in terms of their gender but listen gender is not determined in terms of by uh, gender is not determined between your ears it's determined between your legs and i don't mean that offensively but that's just the truth and that's what the scripture teaches and we need to protect our children because when children are being taught transgenderism in the high schools in the grammar schools especially You know, kindergartners are being taught this garbage. Look, a a child in kindergarten will believe there's a Santa Claus, and they'll believe with all their heart that there's this fat man with a long white beard who travels the world and delivers presents down every chimney. And if you teach them that your biology, your gender is not determined at your birth, they'll believe it. And so... God uh, warns against this. And so I don't care what kind of environment your children are in, you can ask them, well, do you think transgenderism is wrong? And they may say, yes. Well, can you defend that biblically? And you need to be able to defend it biblically. Your children need to be able to go to the Word of God and to say, well, this is what God says. So God created two genders, not a 100 genders. He created them male and female in his own image in deuteronomy twenty two and verse five, uh, Moses said, "A woman shall not wear uh, a woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. And by the way, this verse assumes there's only two sexes: For whoever does these things is an abomination to to Yahweh the Lord your God. And again, interestingly, this word abomination is also associated with homosexuality. And it's also associated with bestiality. Um, So it's just just an evil. So God is giving a prohibition here against a form of uh, androgynous behavior or what we might call gender fluidity or transgenderism. Uh, you you want to interrupt me, Rick? Had,
0: oh, no, I, I just, uh, the next question is pretty much along the same lines, but you're already beginning to answer Yeah,
1: it. so um, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Um, he created them. Now, I know maybe we can be a little more sophisticated in terms of how we express, quote, unquote, gender fluidity. Uh, We have drugs that doctors can give to teenagers and even to young children, depending on the state that you're in and what the legalities are. Uh, There are uh, parents who are literally showing, there was a a famous internet photo that has come out in the last 60 days of a young girl, 14 years old, who had a double mastectomy. And the mother was standing next to her new quote-unquote boy. In order to brag, you know, 20 years ago, this would be considered child abuse. I mean, this is wicked. And for the president of the United States to stand up and to say that, you know, I've got the back of transgender children and he's affirming this lifestyle. He has a depraved, wicked mind. And listen, he carries a lot of weight when the president of the United States says this is okay, and your children are not convinced that this is evil then it's essentially important that you take them to Scripture and uh, help them to understand what God says. The Lord said, you know, if you harm a little child, it's better for a heavy millstone to be tied around your neck and drowned in the deepest sea. And if you have the New American Standard and you go to that particular verse, you will see there's a little one in front of heavy millstone that will take you out to the margin. And in this case, it gives you a literal rendering of the Greek text. And it says literally in the Greek, a millstone turned by a donkey. Why does it say that? Because there's two kinds of millstones that were used in biblical times. There was the kind a woman would use, a small one, to grind her flour, And then there was a large millstone that was literally turned by a donkey. Now, the method of execution for Jews was not a millstone. Uh, It was stoning. But Jesus takes this method of execution that was a Roman expression, apart from crucifixion, to underscore the seriousness of this sin and how wicked it is to cause a child to stumble. So when you are dealing with your teenagers, with your children, they need to be able to go to the Word of God and see that we are living in a culture that is depraved. Again, when men lose their morals, um, they think with a warped, dest- uh, destructive kind of way of life, and that's kind of where we're at today.
0: All right, we've got a live caller standing by, but the second question here is so tied to this okay, one. Okay, we'll
1: come back to that. Yeah, oh, we'll come back to that question? Yeah, okay. let's, let's go to the live call, and we'll come back to that second question. All right,
0: we do have a live, uh, live caller. We've got Alberto on line one. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line.
1: Yeah, good morning,
0: gentlemen. Um, I want to know why do do the sinners and also the so-called Catholics, why they don't persecute the Roman Catholic Church. So if, me, if I want to run to be a pope appoint me for pope, I will commit the changes completely in the Roman Catholic uh, institution. I will decree that every Roman Catholic church member has to carry a Bible to church and also they have to study their Bible and I completely also demand so that Christ alone and Christ alone and faith alone as their teachings. Also completely remove the Apocrypha out of the Catholic Church. Also remove the Purgatory teachings also, also, I want every nation in the world to destroy every idol statues completely. So All if right. I become Pope,
1: that's yeah. my decree. <laughs> Don't you wish you were the Pope? Uh, you could make some real changes, but they're not about to do that because they deny the principle of Sola Scriptura. This was one of the uh, catchphrases of the Protestant Reformation, the five Solas, and Sola Scriptura, which... I have not only in the stained glass window with all five solas behind me every week, but I have it on the front of my pulpit. And basically, it's a Latin phrase that means Scripture alone, that Scripture alone is our final authority. The Roman church does not believe that. And so they have an open Bible, so to speak. There's still new revelation that is coming, and it comes through the Pope when the Pope speaks in a definitive ex-cathedra kind of way. Obviously, Pope Francis would not have gathered all the world religions together just two weeks ago in Karkistan and signed a document that said it is wrong and offensive to promote your religion over the other religions of the world. Oh, really? Well, I thought Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I thought, quote unquote, the first Pope Peter said, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But I guess the Pope doesn't really believe that. Why? Because he's a fallen, wicked man who is now promoting not only a denial that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but he is also promoting the homosexual lifestyle. And so, again, it comes down to does the Roman Catholic Church teach that we're saved by grace alone and through faith alone? And the answer is definitively no. How do we know? Because of their document that's an officially sanctioned document by the magisterium of the church, the teaching arm of the church. It's called the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent met over a couple of decades and produced a document. By, we, by the way, there's over 100 anathemas in that document that condemns Bible-believing Christians. And so, for instance, I think it's Canon 68 uh, that says, if a man teaches that justification is by grace alone received through faith alone and is not somehow also merited through his good deeds, he is to be accursed. And by the way, while it's an ancient document, 500 years old, still... Uh, it is affirmed at Vatican I, Vatican II, and then again in 2010 in the College of Cardinals, they reaffirmed that document. So you're not going to change Roman Catholics. And let me say, I'm not here to bash Roman Catholics. I am saved out of a Roman Catholic background by the grace of God. And we have hundreds of people at Community Bible Church who've been saved out of Roman Catholic backgrounds. And you can still possibly go to heaven and be a Roman Catholic, if you believe that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, you can be wrong on a lot of issues and still go to heaven. You could think that Mary was a perpetual virgin, you could think that all, all, all kinds of crazy things that Jesus is physically present at the communion table, and that the um, the the bread and the wine is transubstantiated that is the, the substance is changed into the literal body and blood of Christ. You could believe that and still go to heaven. You'd be wrong, but you could believe that. Uh, There's a lot of wrong things that Protestants believe, and they will go to heaven, but you cannot be wrong on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. And let's just be clear, the Roman Catholic Church absolutely denies that. And if someone embraces that, then they're rejecting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior.
0: All right, very good. Uh, We have another live caller on line two. Uh, let's go to Isabella. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Go. My Rogan Mr. Rick,
1: hey. when you
0: die and go to heaven, would you have the ability to know if someone who has died before or after you, and you haven't yet seen yet, has went to heaven or hell?
1: It's a good question. we will
0: hang up and listen?
1: Yeah, so one, we will recognize our loved ones in heaven, So there's some people you've met in this life, and you will immediately know them. Uh, They may be in a resurrected body, but you will know them. You will immediately recognize, oh, that's my son who went home to be with the Lord at 16. He may look different, but you will know him. How do I know? Well, because the assumption in 1 Thessalonians 4 is that when we meet, when when the dead in Christ are raised first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the air— there's an assumption that we will recognize each other just as Moses and Elijah were in recognizable bodies on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, if you have a great-grandfather and you never met him, will you immediately know his name? you probably have to be introduced to him. We're not going to be omniscient. When the Scripture says we will be like Jesus in 1 John, it doesn't mean that we uh, are given the attributes of God. We're not. God is still God, and people are still created uh, folks. And so I'm sure we'll probably have to meet some people. Uh, will The second half of that question is in reference to those who are in hell.
0: Yeah. Um, as I understood what she was saying, uh, will we know that when we're in heaven uh, that those who went to hell that we may have known previously are not there?
1: Well, listen, I I think we will. Uh, Some take a verse out of Isaiah that the former things have passed away, but that doesn't really have to do with memory. Some people would argue, well, if we knew, you know, dad or mom or, you know, grandpa was in hell or my brother was in hell or, you know, that would make heaven a little bit more like hell. And no, you will be in a resurrected body and you will have, in any, without any hindrance, a full knowledge of what's right, what's wrong. And you will see those whom God sends to a place of eternal retribution as a perfect expression of justice. And you will even praise God for who he is, that he is a just God. Um, now, that may be hard for our little finite minds to absorb now. But this is one reason why we need to share the gospel now. Next week may be too late for someone. And so it's essential that we are faithful with the gospel message. I had a staff member who, whose wife just lost her brother and really a young man um, just died in his sleep. You know, we, we don't know when God is going to take someone. And so... We need to be ready to share the gospel when God gives an open door. We don't need to kick the door down and force it. But if God gives the opportunity, we should walk through it.
0: All right. Very good. 843-525-1859 if you have a question on today's Bible line. And uh, the next question Grace from Bluffton asks is very much akin to the first question you answered, but we'll go ahead and answer, ask it anyway. Is sexual orientation fixed? Are people born gay at birth? I know everyone has different temptations they struggle with. Is wanting to live a gay lifestyle simply a temptation one has to deal with for his or her life? If God is so clear that living a gay lifestyle is wrong and that's a sin, why would he create someone who is gay? This is a question I've recently been wrestling with as I encounter more people, even in the church, who are saying that being gay is okay because you're born that way and you can't change who you inherently
1: are or who God made you to be. Being gay is okay because you were born that way. There's a little rhythmic uh, expression there that Grace uh, writes us with. She's a poet and doesn't know it. In either case, the answer is it's not okay to be gay. In fact, I have a sermon that's on the Internet that's been downloaded thousands of times. Is it okay to be gay? And God's answer is clear. Listen, when God created you, he created you male and female. In Psalm 139, it says, he knit you together in your mother's womb. And so God gave you um, an either or gender, not a both and. So let's take your question. If one can be born gay, much as one could be born with brown eyes or green eyes, uh, then a fair society— would argue that God would be a wicked God for condemning someone to hell because he made them that way. But God does not make people gay uh, any more than he makes a person an alcoholic. Uh, And again, we tend to soften sin in our day and we say, well, you know, I was born this way and so I am just living out the way God created me. If that were true, then God could not condemn this as a sin. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, and this is a verse we would do well to listen to today, because people are being deceived, and both Protestant and Catholic churches are helping to unfold uh, this deception. I should say that the Pope we have now was the very first Pope in twenty twenty. It was almost buried under the COVID crisis to affirm civil unions, and I quoted him directly in a sermon recently, uh, where he affirmed civil unions is something that we should push for because these are children of God, and we need to be respectful of their families. That that's wicked. That is a fallen Pope. And again, just last month in September. He appointed James Martin, who's his director of communications. James Martin just came out last week, well, or 10 days ago now, with a video. He's a fellow Jesuit, uh, Society of Jesus, is they're called SJ. You will see after a priest's name means he's of the Society of Jesus, which was established by the Pope as the teaching order, the official teaching order of the church. And so, in fact, Pope Francis is the first Jesuit we've ever had who has served in the capacity of a pope. So he appoints James Martin, who um, before he was moved to Rome, he had a congregation of gay and lesbian people that he celebrated mass for every week. And of course, in June of this year, even before the pope's appointment, He went out online and advocated that we should, as Catholics, celebrate Pride Month in order to affirm that these are children of God and they need to be respected. He's the new Pope's director of communication. And about 10 days ago, he came out, and you can just Google his name, James Martin, homosexuality, September, and I'm sure it will come up. And he argues from Uh, a theologian who's nothing more than a heretic, Walter Brueggemann. Uh, Walter Brueggemann supposedly has seen things in the Bible that no one else has seen in thousands of years, that though there are some difficult passages to understand, they are not condemning the homosexual lifestyle. And so he goes on to affirm the gay lifestyle in that a uh, little portrayal there on YouTube. But Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So here's the problem is that when people are deceived, they typically do not know they are deceived. And so with the first uh, email that came in concerning transgenderism, how do you respond to it if God made you this way? If God made you this way, then he could not hold you morally accountable for such behavior. And, it, you know, it would be more like a, a blue-eye, brown-eye uh, problem, which is not a problem at all because that's the way God creates people. Or do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. That's the word porneo. Um We get our word pornography from it. And the word can be used in different contexts. It can refer to general... Um, immorality of one kind or another, or it can refer specifically, contextually, to premarital sex. Uh, Someone wrote me not long ago and they said, I know the Bible condemns adultery, but it doesn't seem to condemn fornication. Yes, it does. It condemns both. And so their argument was that porneia can mean just a broad sweep of sexual immorality. Can, but not always. Context is everything. So, when the Pharisees in John 8 said to Jesus, We weren't born of porneia, they're using it in a very specific way that you're here because Mary was involved in an illegitimate relationship during the betrothal period. Or Jesus himself will say, Out of the heart of man comes porneia, fornication, moicheia, adultery. Obviously, he's not repeating himself, he's speaking of two different things. So, he speaks of neither fornicators nor idolaters. Idolatry is anything you put above God. Uh, Paul can say that sexual immorality is idolatry, and that's where many people are at. They're worshiping the God of sex. They've created this idol that they live and serve, though about a third of the world still literally, physically bows down to objects as expressions of worship. So idolatry can take on that form, but Paul can also say to the Colossians, greed is idolatry, nor adulterers, that's extramarital sex, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. By the way, the message, which is a heretical translation of the Bible, if you own it, unless you're using it for illustration purposes, you should throw it away. You wouldn't want your children to get a hold of it because very creatively, this so-called A Bible scholar who was no scholar at all left out effeminate and homosexuals in his list in the message. Effeminate is a word that refers to male prostitutes or what we might say the passive partner in a homosexual relationship. Homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So God is very, very specific. So you cannot blame it on environment. You cannot say that God made you this way. Just like being a thief is a choice that people make, living and acting out a homosexual lifestyle is a choice that people will make. And God is simply saying, if this is the direction of your life, then you have proof positive that you've never been born again. And this is why Sam Allberry. He's a Anglican priest, and he has been given all kinds of uh, platforms here in the United States by evangelicals. Nine Marks Ministry uh, interviewed him, and I could have strangled the president of Nine Marks and said, Man, what, what's your problem? This guy is affirming that you can have same-sex attraction and be in the center of God's will. No, that is to be repented of, just like heterosexual lust is to be repented of. Uh, When, um, you know, there's a conference that's put out by the PCA, it's called the Revoice Conference. And when you have leaders in that conference bringing him on, and I just spoke um, in the last four months with the president and CEO of a major Christian organization, and I said, why do you have Sam Alberry speaking at your conference? We use your ministry, and you are pushing me not to use it. Well, I didn't think there was a problem. Well, man, if you have a person on your platform teaching your leaders about critical issues, you're giving endorsement to pretty much everything they teach. And I know there can be difference on secondary issues, but this is not a secondary issue. This is a moral issue. And so, listen, the sin of homosexuality here in 1 Corinthians 6, it's listed right next to theft. And just as there are no genetic reasons for stealing and there's no genetic excuse for being a thief, there's no genetic excuse for being a homosexuality, being a homosexual, and it's blasphemous To say that this moral wickedness is something that God put in you, that's sheer blasphemy. That is defaming the name of a holy God who does all things well. And I would hate to meet the living God with that kind of thought process. But I also need to say with the next verse, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Paul is simply saying, in the Corinthian church, there are people who are saved out of fornicating, adultery, homosexual, thievering, covetous kinds of lifestyles. And they are now members of the kingdom of God because God saved them, set them apart, imputed them. Christ's righteousness to them and is changing them as new creatures in Christ Jesus. Good question. Let's go to the next.
0: 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, we have Eleanor on line one. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Good morning, Pastor Carl. Um, this is sort of a technical question. I wanted to get a set of Old Testament commentaries, a, a set that, that more or less uh, uh, treats every verse, and I just wondered if you could give me a recommendation.
1: It's a great question. Thanks for asking that. So I would start with a general commentary of uh, uh, of the Old Testament. So why do I say that? Well, because usually if it's a well done general commentary, not only does it deal with things that are not obvious, but it will give you great references where you might want to dig a little bit deeper. Here's, here's the challenge. If I said, well, you should get so-and-so's commentary on the Old Testament, there's no single writer who is going to, in his lifetime, be able to write uh, definitively on every book of the Old Testament. I have all of Calvin's commentaries. Uh, of course, he wrote one on every book of the Bible except Revelation. But still, um, you know, it's what they are. Uh, Some of them are a little bit more in-depth than others, but you can't write a commentary on every book of the Bible and do it with excellence. Uh, I have a professor at Dallas Seminary who spent 20 years doing Luke-Acts, and it's a good job, but it took him 20 years to do the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And it would definitely be a good work. So I would start with something like the BKC. That stands for the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It's been in the print since the 1980s. So if you just went to Amazon and you Googled it, you know, what is now, you know, $175 set for two volumes, you'll probably be able to get 30, for $35 shipped to your house. But that's a good start because in the back of each book of the Bible, they're going to give you great references to conservative works. Now, I will say that the challenge with that is that they don't always distinguish between a critical commentary and a popular commentary. A critical commentary assumes that you have a certain knowledge of Greek or Hebrew, and so you may pick up, say, Cranfield's commentary on the Book of Romans, which is superb, and find that you can't read half of it because it's in Greek. And there's an assumption that you have a knowledge of Greek. But still, they're going to list a lot of great works with names that you will recognize. And these are good works that, you know, you might want to purchase for that particular book. I have bought whole sets. And sometimes I bought them just because, you know, they're offering a special to pastors. And usually every time I do that, I'm disappointed. There might be, you know, five or six volumes out of the whole set that was created that are Stellar and the others, well, I, I'll probably never read them again. They were just a waste of time. Um, sometimes, too, within sets, you can have conservative and liberal scholars, and so you want to be cautious on that. And they, and so, um, you know, ideally, I want a, a, a person whom I'm reading, A, who's born again. You say, I thought, you know, these are like Bible scholars that conservative presses are offering. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Look, there. There were uh, translators on the New International Version, especially the TNIV, who were not born again Christians. Why would I want a born again scholar to be involved in Bible translation? If you have, say, a hundred scholars, why would I want thirty of them to be lost? I wouldn't. I'd want you know conservative scholars. You know, so why would I want to buy you know uh, a commentary by? Uh, Barclay William Barclay I wouldn't now do I have them I've got probably ten commentaries by Barclay Uh, I didn't buy any of them new because I'm not going to contribute to his family fund but I bought them purely for illustrations because he is a liberal he denies the miracles in the Bible most of them one after another in fact I've made a whole list of miracles that William Barclay denies So I want a conservative, born-again, Bible-believing man. Uh, So I would start with the BKC. Another two-volume set would be uh, Warren Worsby's uh, two volumes on the New Testament. And then he wrote a number of books in the B series. He didn't do the whole Old Testament, but he did them. And again, they're short, but what you will find is some annotations in them where you can uh, go for a little bit deeper study.
0: What do you think about uh, uh John MacArthur's um
1: John MacArthur's series is great um it depends what era you've purchased them in cuz he updated some of them he took some heat for instance I have and I have actually an older copy of MacArthur and a newer copy on the book of Hebrews and so in the book of Hebrews he changed his view largely because conservative evangelical scholars said You're not affirming the eternal sonship of Jesus. He wasn't denying Christ's eternality. He was, in his first edition of Hebrews, denying that Jesus was eternally the Son. And so he took a lot of heat on that, and he changed his opinion on it. Um, Do I agree with everything that John MacArthur teaches? Certainly not. I don't think uh, two pastors, you can find two pastors who agree 100% on everything. Uh, But is it a conservative work? Yes, it's a good conservative work. So that would be relatively safe. He has a Calvinistic tone to it, um, which is, you know, fine. Um, But all that laid aside, it's a good work. But What does John MacArthur do? He does the same thing Carl Brogy does when he prepares a sermon. Like right now, I'm working on a book of the Bible that I'll probably not preach for a year from now, and I have 25 commentaries on that particular book of the Bible, and I will literally read every single one of them when going through a verse. So I'll read it for myself, see what God will give me. Some people say, well, I just read the Bible for myself, and I don't need commentaries. That's basically saying God can speak to me, but he can't speak to anyone else. And two, sometimes you want to look at a verse through the historical lens, how the early church fathers, the late church fathers, the reformers understood it, and so on and so forth. So it's helpful to read broadly. But, um, you know, again, uh, you know, like, for instance, in you say uh, a volume, like, let's take, for instance, the book of Romans. I have... um, And the book of Romans, I I probably have 75 commentaries. I have Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think it's five volumes, but that's just a a matter of chapters that he covers. I have Barnhouse's um, uh, three volumes, it's three or four volumes, and again, he's just covering a few chapters. Barnhouse took 25 years to preach the book of Romans. And so they gave you a snippet of some of, uh, of one section from Romans. Now, would I spend 25 years on Romans? No. Could I? Yes. Would I want to? No, because I want to teach the whole council of Scripture. John MacArthur spent most of his life preaching the New Testament, very little of the Old Testament, uh, which is what he felt God had called him to do. I usually rotate between an Old Testament, New Testament book. So, again, uh, I would start with the BKC. I'd start with Wearsby. You'll get a good bibliography such that if you want to study then a particular book of the Bible, go to the bibliography at the back of each book, and I think you'll find that very helpful. Let's go to the next question.
0: All right, eight four three five two five one eight five nine if you have a question on today's Bible line, we have James on line two. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Good morning. Um, this question is regarding the last sermon uh, preached. Which was really good. I've heard it twice, Um, but you stopped right at the verse. I was kind of interested in hearing your thoughts on, and that was when John um, was looking at the woman riding on the beast, and it said he wondered with great wonder, and then the angel told him, uh, said, "Why are you, why are you doing, or why are you wondering?" And I just uh, wanted your thoughts on what was he, was he focused on the wrong thing, or was this just um, the angel was directing him onward to what he was about to reveal?
1: It's a good question, James. And by the way, in case you're interested, um, I've preached 72 hours on the book of Revelation, and I cover this in detail in terms of this chapter, I, I think I spent two or three messages on Revelation 17. And for those who are just tuning in, I am doing a series on entitled God's Prophetic Schedule. And so I am looking at the highlights of the prophetic schedule, and in a few places we're zooming in. So we are looking uh, currently at the Olivet Discourse. It's Christ's longest answer to any question he was ever asked Peter, James, John, and Andrew on the Mount of Olives. And when we came to verse fifteen, the abomination of desolation, I've kind of zoomed in on that, and this will be the last of four messages zooming in on the abomination of of desolation, what it means, what its implications are, and so forth. But here in Revelation thirteen and verse six, excuse me, Revelation seventeen and in verse six, he said, I wondered greatly. And the word, interestingly, for, for wonder here is Thalma. Uh, you could kind of paraphrase it in modern vernacular. I was blown away, Thalmazo. I was blown away. Uh, he's just like absolutely astounded over what he has seen. And the angel says, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and the ten horns, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is a mind which has wisdom, the seven heads. And so he's going on. He's like, wow, man, what is this? And how is it that he understands at this point that there is a a bleeding together of religious Babylon and economic Babylon? And that the fact that the two have come together, it's amazing to him. And then the angel goes on, and he begins to explain the specifics of how it will unfold. And, of course, in the 18th chapter, uh, the ultimate destruction as um, both are destroyed. So uh, again, that's the real short answer, but it's all on message at uh, searchthescriptures.org, Click on Revelation. When you're out cutting the grass, you can listen to these uh, various messages on Revelation, but uh, listen for a more detailed answer. Go ahead. Let's go to the next one because we're getting behind. All right.
0: Marie from Savannah would like to know your opinion of the book, Is Atheism Dead? by Eric Metaxas.
1: Eric Metaxas is a good guy, sometimes a little bit controversial, can have a little bit of a uh, charismatic uh, slant on some issues. Uh, But he is a good guy, and uh, he loves the Lord, and he's done another work that I think is a good read. Um, He basically starts by giving some scientific evidence and analysis for God is the creator, and he reminds the reader that Christians are not alone. Um, I don't know how many are in it today, but there's an organization called the Institute for Creation Research, and there was at one time, at least in the 80s, where they boasted they had some 10,000 scientists born-again Christians. Not all of them. Some of them were not Christians, but they believed uh, that the scientific evidence pointed to a creator. And so he looks at that, and he then underscores the accuracy for the Bible, both historically and archeolo- in with archaeology, that there's never been a, quote-unquote, mistake or error that has been found in Scripture. And then he reminds the reader that many of the evils done in the world and in recorded history have been done by atheists, whether it's a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao Zedong, or whoever it might be. Um, Here's my take. I'm not against a book written on why to believe in God, but many times Christians think that this is like the solution to doing basic evangelism, that we need to be able to defend the existence of God. But may I remind you that the Bible devotes about one half of one verse. It's actually repeated twice, Psalm 14, Psalm 50. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And when you come into the New Testament, you never, ever see the apostles in evangelism defending the existence of God. They remind people of what is self-evident, and it is self-evident that God exists. Uh, Paul says through the creation around us, God's eternal attributes, his divine power, his eternal nature are clearly seen through what he has made. So, men are without excuse. So, no man can say, is there a God? Does God exist? Because he knows there is a God. Um, He knows it through creation. He knows it through conscience. Romans 2.15. Gentiles, they are synonymous with pagans who have never seen the written law, show the work of the written law expressed in their hearts and that they either affirm or they deny what's right and what's wrong. How do they know what's right and what's wrong? Because God's law is written in their hearts. And so missionaries will go to various cultures, and though they've never seen the Ten Commandments, they very often have a moral code that is expressed. It's wrong to steal from your neighbor. It's wrong to murder someone. How do they know that? Because part of being made in the image of God is he wrote His law into your heart. So through creation, through conscience, through God's general care, His existence is self evident. And so when I confront an atheist, I might remind them, I'll say, Well, you really believe in God. Um, The Bible teaches you believe in God. The Bible teaches that there's no such thing as an atheist. Let me tell you why you believe in God. And I might quote Romans 1 or Romans 2 as examples. And if they say, well, I don't believe in God, then I might say, well, can I at least have the opportunity to share with you, since the Bible, since the invention of the printing press has been the single most printed book in the world, can I at least share with you what the Bible teaches about salvation? Whether you believe there's a heaven or not, whether you believe there's a God or not, can I at least share with you what it says about God, what it says about heaven? And all they can say is, no, I remember a young man showed up my door. I'll never forget it. I was at the University of North Carolina, and he showed up my door at like 10 o'clock at night. And I thought, who's that? And opened the door, and, and Rick Adams was there. And Rick says, I'm only here because this girl told me I should come and talk to you, but I want you to know I'm an atheist, and I don't believe there's a God. Well, by the time we were done... Uh, he was on his knees and he received Christ as his Savior and his life was changed and he's an elder in his church today there in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I say all that to say that men know there is a God. But again, Eric felt led to do this. Some would say the shortcoming of this book is that he didn 't take it far enough to say well it 's not enough to believe in god 's existence. The demons believe there 's a God. The demons believe there 's God is one, and they they tremble he didn 't take it farther enough to say, Well, you also have to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, so maybe that 's volume two i don 't know so um, but he 's a good guy, and i wouldn 't criticize the book, and i wouldn 't necessarily criticize reading." a book that defends the existence of God. But if you think that that's the key to evangelism, then you're misinformed. And if someone just says, well, I I don't want to talk to you, well, then that's fine. All you're convincing in the world for the existence of God isn't going to carry you anywhere. Um, They're just not open at this point. And what drives a denial of heaven or hell or that there's a God? It's always a moral problem. Uh, A person's morality uh, governs their theology. And there's a moral issue going on in the background that they do not want to contend with.
0: All right. Very good. We've got four minutes left. And Randy from Rinkin is on line one. Thanks for holding. You're on the Bible line.
1: Go ahead. Hello, Dr. Brogy. Rick,
0: uh, how are you doing? I enjoy your show. I have your app. And uh, my question is, um, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar is looking down, he sees the fourth figure. Um, In the King James, it says, it's one like this, the Son of God, but I think I've heard you, Dr. Brogie, say in the past that the original transcripts say, one like the sons of the God, or son of the gods, with a little g. How come the difference?
1: Well, it's a good question. It's much like uh, the opening verse in the Bible, Barashid Barah uh, Elohim, in the beginning created God, but God, interestingly, is the word Elohim, but it's in the plural. And what's even more interesting is that God uses a plural noun in a singular verse. That would be like saying they is fat. No, we would say they are fat. And so God uses a plural noun for God and a singular verb And so right in the opening verse of the Bible, in kernel form, you have the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, is the King James wrong for translating it that way? You could really translate it either way. So it becomes an issue of what would have been his theology at this point when he sees four beings. Is he believing, oh, he's seeing a fourth one who's the Son of God, or is Does he think he's seen another divine being? Because at this point, he is polytheistic. He believes in many gods. He's not converted yet. Now, I wrote a sermon once on the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. I happen to believe we'll see him in heaven. But at this point, he's just not there. He is, I think, and so um, it says here, he said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And so, one, it's not articular, which led the translators of the NAS to go a son, not the son. Now, sometimes, you know, there's articles that are placed because it reads more smoothly from the original into the receptor language. And not every language even has articles, but Greek and Hebrew has the article, the word the. And so the article's not present. And so in light of that, I think the uh, New American Standard was right in rendering it uh, like a son of gods. And again, it's plural, and in light of the theology that this man had, uh, I don't think he was giving an, an affirmation that this was Jesus walking And even... So, so then the question becomes, well, who, who was this? Could have been the angel of the Lord a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It obviously was not Jesus uh, post-Bethlehem because he uh, doesn't have a human physical body until the Spirit of God generates it as he overshadows Mary's womb. But in the Old Testament, he appeared as the angel of the Lord. And if I were to make a guess, uh, though no one could be dogmatic on it because this text of Scripture is not dogmatic on it, uh, that this was a pre-incarnate appearance, the angel of the Lord here present with these three men. You, you mentioned them by their pagan names, um, but we should probably affirm their Hebrew names because the pagan names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, those were given by a pagan ruler. We're out of time. Thanks.